Listen, okay? Last year, Apple lost $1 billion. I don't even know how that's possible. You were less than 90 days from being insolvent. I had three different accountants try to explain it to me. The whole place has to be streamlined. up with that little clip from the movie Steve Jobs. You know, hey, last year Apple lost a billion dollars. How do you do that in business? I don't know. Come out with a product that doesn't sell. Uh, you know, like opening a hotel and, uh, and some casinos in an area where people can't afford to gamble money or maybe, uh, I don't know, people don't realize that when uh, everyone's talking about how Trump lost $916 million in a year, oh, he must not be a very good businessman. Oh, he doesn't have to pay taxes. Oh, you know what? That's how you pay taxes on your income. If you lose income, the tax laws say that you don't have to pay taxes on the net. Hey, I lost a billion. I get to make a billion before I'm at zero, and then I pay again when I make money. That's the tax laws, folks. That's how things work. That's how business works. And sometimes I don't think anyone would call anybody with an Apple iPhone 7 in your pocket or an iPhone 6 or a 6S or a 5 or an iPad or an iPod or wearing an iWatch. I don't think anybody's going to say Apple is uh, not successful or making smart moves or uh, fault them that they build their iPhones in China because uh, the taxes are too high and the regulations are too high in America. It's cheaper for them to... uh, to uh, have uh, Chinese people build iPhones and ship them from China. I don't know. Was Steve Jobs a smart guy? Eh, I think he was. I think he was. I think uh, I'm trying to clear some things up, folks. I'm trying to make give you some clarity today on uh, this episode, as with every episode of the main event. And uh, today will be no different. But first, before I get started on uh, what's going on this week... Let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender, located in the city of Moreno Valley, also offices in Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all of Southern California and Arizona. If you're interested in getting involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. One last time, day or night. Toll free, area code 855-640-2020. If you don't want to talk to me on the phone till after you know that you qualify, because you don't want me to know what your voice sounds like, go to edhoffman.net, click on apply now, put in as much information as you want me to have, hopefully enough information so I can give you what you want back, and uh, you'll hear back from uh, either myself or one of my teammates, Matt Bradbury, Cody Bradbury, Alex Rojas, Eric Marquez, or Randy Sampia, saying we will uh, help... To help fill in the missing pieces to your uh, financial puzzle and help you uh, figure it out. Whether it's a refinancing a property you have or purchasing a property or uh, doing one of them uh, crazy things called reverse mortgage. If you don't understand them, if you're over 62 and you want to find out what it does for you, call me 855-640-2020. If here's something you want repeated, you can hear the replay of this show on edhoffman.net. Click on listen to the main event. You can hear this show as well as uh, several past shows that are available, or you can get me on podcast by going on iTunes on uh, 
whatever device you listen to the podcast on and you can subscribe for free and it'll automatically download once a week. You listen to it anytime, day or night. You don't have to wait for the times I'm on the radio. Um, so let's let's get into it. Oh, also, you can follow me on Twitter at Ed Hoffman, at E-D-H-O-F-F-M-A-N, where I tweet about current events all week long. Like our show on the Facebook page. Uh, now the, the main event, Ed Hoffman. The main event, Ed Hoffman, you'll find the show page. And I'm uh, taking a break from the weekly columns over the next few weeks to get ready for a, a launch of my new blog on edhoffman.net. So uh, the opinion columns will come back up on uh, as my blog. And uh, so in the meantime, be sure to connect with me and the show on social media. So let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on. The two uh, presidential debate contenders, the two vice presidential debate contenders, uh, faced off Tuesday night at Longwood University in Virginia. For their first time and only, first and only debate, uh, even mainstream media is, is saying uh, Mike Pence schooled Tim Kaine, who looked like a total idiot. Um, I'd like to say harsher words, but this is radio and it's Salem, and they like me to be nice. So, uh, but Pence schooled Tim Kaine. Listen to these headlines: Washington Post. None of these seem to be uh, seem to be conservative publications. Washington Post said Tim Kaine seemed like he was trying too hard at the VP debate. MSNBC's Chris Matthews still has a still has that uh that what is it that something under, up his leg he had a a thrill up his leg or something with when he hears Obama speak. Strong Pence crushed desperate Kane at last night's v- VP debate. Uh, Slate, I don't know what Slate is. What kind of a publication Slate is? We are begging the Hillary campaign, Clinton campaign, stop it with these terrible, terrible one-liners from from Hillary and Tim Kane. The consensus seems to be that Tim Kane is a whiny, rude juvenile. I call them a whiny something child. Something I can't say on the radio again, uh, and kept trying, kept trying to one up Mike Pence successfully. Here's two back-to-back clips that are a perfect example. She had a Clinton Foundation accepting contributions from foreign governments. You, and you foreign are Donald Trump, uh, Trump supremacist. Uh, uh, let, let me talk about this. Senator, issue I think, the, uh, I think I'm still on my time. Well, I think are, isn't this a discussion? I was in Washington D.C. on on 9/11. I saw the clouds uh, of smoke rise from the Pentagon. I was in Virginia, where the Pentagon's. I know you were. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Trump's apprentice. Isn't that cute? He came up with that all by himself, and later he's going, hey, you want to be the uh, vote for the you're fired people, or you want to vote for the campaign that's you're hired? Oh, my goodness. They're so cute. And, uh, you know, hey, uh, I've been to uh, I've been to the Pentagon, and uh, it's in Virginia. It's... Uh, it is right across the bridge from uh, Washington D.C. So uh, Virginia is a big state. So, well, you know, I was in Washington D.C. I could see the I could see the clouds from the, I could see the smoke from the Pentagon. Well, I was in Virginia, the state. Hey, you know, you cross the line. I'm on this side of the line. You're on that side of the line. Neener, neener, neener. This guy is a child. He's a he's an immature little child that just makes me want to punch him in the face. So uh, uh, Kane decided to make the entire debate about hurling insults, which is ironic because that's all he hurled at Pence the entire time, and Pence finally put him in his place. As a candidate, he started his campaign with a speech where he called Mexicans rapists and criminals, and he has pursued the discredited and really outrageous lie that President Obama wasn't born in the United States. And I can't imagine how Governor Pence can defend the insult-driven, selfish, me-first style of Donald Trump. He says ours is an an insult-driven campaign. Did you all just hear that? 
ours is an insult-driven campaign? I mean, to be honest with you, if Donald Trump had said all the things that you said he said in the way you said he said them, he still wouldn't have a fraction of the insults that Hillary Clinton leveled when she said that half of our supporters were a basket of deplorables. Yeah, and just like the first presidential debate, this one featured a moderator who was tougher on the Republican candidate. Uh, the vice pre- the vice presidential debate did the same. Uh, lots of people in the media noticed that CBS's Elaine Quijano tended to interrupt Pence more than she did Kane. Listen to this. Governor, with all due respect, the uh, question was about whether it seems fair to you that Mr. Trump said he brilliantly used the laws to pay as little tax as legally possible. So, Governor, how would these millions of undocumented immigrants leave? Would they be forcibly removed? Governor, the question was about about homegrown. So, but but you asked the trustworthy question at the very beginning. The reason people don't trust uh, Hillary Clinton is because they are looking at the pay-to-play politics that she operated with the Clinton Foundation through a private server while she Secretary of State, Senator, we would know a lot more about it if Hillary Clinton would just turn over the 33,000 emails that she refused to turn over in her private server. We have a much better picture of what the Clinton Foundation was doing. Yeah, if it wasn't if it wasn't Tim Kaine interrupting him every time he started to make a point, uh, it was uh, Elaine Quijano jumping in there, and uh, was to me it was very frustrating because they wouldn't they were. You know, he was trying to be, I thought he would look professional. Uh, Mike Pence looked professional, presidential. I thought, you know, uh, we were at a conservative conference uh, last year, the year before last, uh, March of la- of 15, and I met this lady in the, in the uh, lunch break, and she was talking about this guy, Mike Pence, that might run, that I'd never heard of, uh, the governor from Indiana. And uh, you know what? I was impressed. He didn't run for president, but I was impressed. I could see, you know, the the only reason that the vice president's there, if something happens to the president, he can take over. And uh, quite frankly, it's it was scary thinking of, of Tim Kaine might do that when uh, Hillary's hidden uh, hidden health issues come come to uh, to pass, come to uh, to fruition, and she can't. She can uh, handle her job as the president if she if we're that unfortunate to elect her. Sunday's debate is a town hall, uh, which would indicate like the moderators won't be able to interrupt. But as I understand it, CNN's Anderson Cooper and ABC's Martha Raddatz are are moderating, and they're the ones taking the uh, they're deciding which questions from the audience people to take. So prepare it might it might be more of the same final one is on the 19th um and chris wallace of fox news is is moderating it and i'm not really positive that he's a conservative i think he's a registered democrat um but he is he is fair um so hopefully we'll at least have some intelligent debate uh on the 19th so uh new immigration crisis next next subject here uh of course immigration was a major topic in the debate since kihana was uh being harder on Pence, she went straight to him on the question that she claimed was for both candidates. The question was, what would you tell the millions of undocumented immigrants who have not committed violent crimes? Here was his response. Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine want to continue the policies of open borders, amnesty, uh, catch and release, sanctuary cities, all the things that are driving, uh, that are, that are driving wages down in this country, Senator, and also uh, too often. With criminal aliens in the country, it's bringing heartbreak. But Donald Trump has a plan that he laid out in Arizona uh, that that will deal systematically with 
illegal immigration, beginning with border security, internal enforcement. It's probably why for the first time in the history of Immigrations and Customs Enforcement, their union actually endorsed Donald Trump as the next president of the United States because they know they need help to enforce the laws of this country. Yeah, the uh, the Trump Trump needs to remember that this was this was what made him what made him popular with the voters initially is that we're actually going to do something about illegal immigration and uh, he needs uh, hopefully Sunday night he he makes sure and focus on that instead of what Hillary Clinton is insulting him with trying to uh, defend. Um, and it was interesting to hear uh, some of the some of the pundits out there saying, "Oh, Pence didn't even try to defend Trump." He didn't want to fall into the same same uh, trap that Trump fell into last at the first debate, and uh, where he spent the whole time defending himself from the stuff that Hillary Clinton said instead of attacking her on the stuff that makes her unqualified to be president. And speaking so, but speaking of illegal immigration, Fox's Casey Stegall uh, reported this week that the Border Patrol agents say that Ill- illegal immigration problem is growing worse. Even worse than it was th- when uh, when thousands of unaccompanied minors crossed over in 2014. Remember all these all these kids coming over? We don't really know where they're from. We suspect they're from Honduras and Guatemala, and they're coming through Mexico, and uh, they're coming without adults. And you know, uh, oh man, I'm 17. Uh, you're really 23, but I'm 17, and uh, well, we can't deport minors, and we can't do anything with them, and they don't have any parents here. We better find a place for them, and uh, they tried to ship them in. Some of you might know about there was a big busload of them. They tried to they tried to place a busload of them in Marietta, and uh, the a uh, bunch of group of people from Marietta stood on the freeway off ramp and wouldn't let it get off at Marietta, and I say, hey, we don't we don't want these illegal immigrants in our community. And uh, so anyway, uh, in Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, more than 54,000 women and children have been processed this year compared to 66,000 in 2014. And we got three months left. Let's listen. You have so many people that are coming in and they're being released into the country and the words getting back to their home country. So they're they're mobilizing because they they don't know what tomorrow will bring, but they know that today they can cross. So uh, get in before Trump gets here. And it's interesting that we always hear that no one really believes that Donald Trump can build this wall on the border, and uh, including Mexican people. They, oh, no, he can't do it. He's not going to be able to build that wall, and we're not paying for it. Well, this proves him wrong. Listen to Stiegel uh, explain just how seriously people in Mexico and Central America take Donald Trump's plans. When we were down at the border shooting this last week, one immigrant told me that word is spreading in Mexico and Central America to get here now because if Donald Trump wins, the word on the street down there is that the wall will go up, things will be sealed off. So the smugglers are saying to get here now. And what's funny now, uh, here's something no one's talking about, how similar Donald Trump's immigration position is to, uh, uh, wait for it, uh, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton, yeah, listen, here's a minute and a half second, here's a minute and 24 seconds of Bill's 1995 State of the Union speech. Okay, so he got in in, two th- in he won election in 92, he started in 93, so two years later, his State of the Union speech... Tell me why saying illegal aliens and talking about mass deportation was fine for Bill Clinton 21 years ago, but now it's racist for Donald Trump to say it. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. 
the jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it. Was that really Hillary Clinton's husband saying that? When he was so successful in the White House? I don't know. Sounds like uh, Hillary and Bill maybe uh, not on the same uh, on the same page quite often. Probably not in the same bed most often as well. Um, but I did. But I uh, I I I veer off the veer off the road here. Has anyone noticed that the liberal moderators, nor Hillary, seem to be bringing up these uh, things that you know in the debates? They're they're not bringing up this thing. Ah, you're gonna you're gonna do this and do that because that's what people like to hear about. Uh, is is uh, Trump's position on immigration. But speaking of Bill Clinton, remember a few months ago when everyone was calling him Hillary's secret weapon? Now he appears, appears to be doing his wife more harm than good by throwing her uh, high-profile supporters under the bus. First, he starts with former president uh, committed to a gigantic gaffe when he told the truth about Obamacare. You've got this crazy system where all of a sudden 25 million more people have health care, and then the people are out there busting it sometimes 60 hours a week, wind up with their premiums doubled and their coverage cut in half. It's the craziest thing in the world. It's not crazy. It's stupid because people don't uh, uh, cause and effect, folks, cause and effect. You know what? If you uh, if you make people do this, they're going to do that. You know what? That's, no one took in, into account how the world works, how the business works, and uh, all that. So now we see insurance companies getting out, getting out. Next person that uh, that uh, uh, Clinton is insulting, uh, Clinton threw another Hillary supporter under the bus, Bernie Sanders. Here he is yelling at a heckler who he didn't like in uh, ninety, who, who didn't like his 90, 1994 crime bill because it was supposedly racist. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, the crime bills are racist because, uh, you know, if you fight crime, you're being racist. Uh, why is that? Why would people think that? Why is it? Uh, are they are they backing up the cops that pull over that supposedly pull over cops for driving while black? I don't know. Maybe uh, the protesters, the Black Lives Matter people, are uh, don't really have their logic going on. Maybe they're not the smartest tools in the shed, or the sharpest tools in the shed. Maybe they're not the uh, the. Uh, I don't know. I'll think of think of a bunch of that stuff. Um, and of course, this this is kind of fun for conservatives to watch. And Trump made it even more fun with these comments. This is Bill Clinton. He added, "It doesn't make any sense." And that insurance model, it just doesn't work. Oh, can you imagine what was going on? 
And a big part of her campaign is Obamacare. Big part. And she wants to double up and double down, and she wants it to go. I mean, this woman doesn't know what the hell she's doing. No, I think I don't think she knows what the hell she's doing. I don't think she has a clue. And her whole uh, her whole motive, and you'll watch it Sunday night on the on the next uh, debate, is she just babbles on BS that statistics that don't have anything to do with that with each other like uh, i don't know like uh trickle down economics has been tried and failed and it's not fair to the middle class uh but we'll talk more about that in the second half uh earlier this week everyone was still talking about hillary's october surprise revelation that donald trump has supposedly not paid any income taxes for the last 18 years this claim is based on information that in Trump's 1995 returns, tax returns, where he declared $916 million loss. I don't know. How could you possibly lose almost a billion dollars in one year? Asked Steve Jobs. Uh, the, the dedication, the this deduction, according to the uh, the records reported on the new on by the New York Times, is is so substantial it could have allowed him to legally avoid paying taxes. Federal income taxes for up to 18 years. What's that? What's that a problem? Legally avoided paying tax? Legally? I don't know. Is that illegal to do something that's legal? Uh, According to the Times, these extraordinary tax benefits are derived from the financial wreckage Trump left behind in the early 1990s through mismanagement of three Atlantic City casinos, his ill-fated foray into the airline business, and his ill-timed purchase of the Plaza Hotel in Manhattan. You know what? It's just like just like the uh, just like the billion dollars that Apple lost. It was his money. If he would have just not worked that year, no one they wouldn't have got taxes on that on that billion anyway. On the billion, so the next so he had a loss. And you know what they say? Up to 18 years and no taxes. They have no clue of that. If he made 200 million dollars a year, and I don't know how much he was making back then. But, you know, he says that his tax returns will show 694 for 2015. So if he's making a third of that, $200 million, he would have gone without paying taxes for about four and a half years. Okay? I think that's fair. Uh, I know it says it's legal. In fact, the Times hired tax experts to analyze the 1995 records include that tax rules that the tax rules advantageous to the wealthy filers would have allowed Trump to use his $916 million loss to cancel out an equivalent amount of taxable income over an 18-year 18 period, period, meaning that by 18 years, if you haven't canceled it out, that loss can no longer be carried forward. doesn't mean that you don't have to pay taxes for 18 years. It means you don't have to pay taxes on the next $916 million. Uh, so on this week's Sunday show, Trump's surrogates were forced into defense mode. Here's uh, First, here's Rudy Giuliani. The reality is he's a genius. What he did was he took advantage okay. of something that could save his enterprise and he did something we admire in America. He came back. The art of the deal is all about that. He talks about it. So did Steve Jobs. So did Winston Churchill. I'd rather have a genius like Donald Trump running this country than someone like Hillary Clinton. Yeah, me too. And here's Chris Christie. There's no one who's shown more genius in, in their way to maneuver around the tax code and to rightfully use the laws to do that. This is a guy who, when lots of businesses went out of business in the early 1990s, he fought and clawed back to build another fortune, to create tens of thousands of more jobs. Um, and this is actually a very, very good story for Donald Trump. 
And I'm sure you're dying to hear what Hillary Clinton had to say in response to them. Trump represents the same rigged system that he claims he's going to change. Taking from America with both hands and leaving the rest of us with the bill. What kind of genius loses a billion dollars in a single year? This is Trump to a T. He abuses his power, games the system, puts his own interests ahead of the country's. It's Trump first and everyone else last. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Hey, I'm out, I'm out of time for part one of the main event, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna break for five minutes for some uh, commercials, weather, and traffic. Don't go away. I'll be right back with part two, and we will continue to debunk the BS. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name's Ed Hoffman, President Wholesale Capital Corporation. If you're interested in talking to somebody about mortgages that know that thinks like you, call me toll free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. So before the break, we've been talking about everything going on in the presidential election cycle. Now here's something I've been wanting to talk about ever since we heard the first presidential debate. Remember when Hillary Clinton called Donald Trump's plan this silly buzzword? I call it trumped up, trickle down, because that's exactly what it would be. That is not how we grow the economy. Yeah, and uh, last week we talked about what is trickle down, trickle down being another word for capitalism. Scott McAfee and I talked about that in detail last week, uh, but I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear more of this Sunday night and uh, next week as well. But you know what? Another part that we haven't been talking about that is personal to me that uh, Hillary said, this is a lie I've heard her say over and over and over. And I think some stupid people out there, I mean, Democrats, believe this stuff because she said it. Let me play it. We had the worst financial crisis, the Great Recession, the worst since the 1930s. That was in large part because of tax policies that slashed taxes on the wealthy, failed to invest in the middle class, took their eyes off of Wall Street, and created a perfect storm. And that's just not what happened. That's just not even what happened. You know, we had the biggest financial crisis since the Great Depression because uh, a number of different things, a number of different things, and, uh, and it was all mortgages. And being in the mortgage business myself, the more lies that she says about this, the more angry I get. And the more, the more I, I just can't believe that there's so many stupid people that are watching this that don't exactly know what happened. And uh, it starts out, it starts out in in the uh, 70s with a couple of different things. First of all, there's a a, a law put to get put out called the Community Reinvestment Act, uh, introduced to the economy by a, a president called Jimmy Carter. And uh, Jimmy Carter, uh, Democrat president, uh, peanut farmer, uh, wanted to encourage encourage programs that would help the underserved people that are having a harder time own houses and create some things that would help them with down payments, give them a little bit lower interest rate, that kind of thing. In uh, and that in that along with uh, a a uh, act a. a Something done by a guy named Louis Ranieri um, that he created what are called mortgage-backed securities. And I'm going to use some clips 
from a movie called The Big Short. If you haven't watched it, you need to get it. It's on Netflix. It's on cable. It's on demand. The the DVD's out. It's a, the movie came out the end of last year. It is superb. It's entertaining. Uh, watch it when you're awake. Um, because I'm, I'm told by someone at the radio station who's really interested now, he started watching it and fell asleep. Um, but that's only because he didn't wait. He fell asleep too close into it to, to get a, I mean, it starts out really fast in this movie, but anyway, let, let me play, let me play this scene, uh, from the big short. You might not know who he is, but he changed your life more than Michael Jordan, the iPod, and YouTube put together. You see, Lewis didn't know it yet, but he'd already changed banking forever with one simple idea. The mortgage-backed security, or private label MBS. You've got your average person's mortgage, fixed rate, 30 years, boring, safe, small payoff, right? But when you have thousands of them all bundled together, suddenly the yield goes up, but the risk is still small because, well, they're mortgages. And who the hell doesn't pay their mortgage? What exactly is the credit rating on this bond? This bond, gentlemen, is AAA rated. This is exactly what the Michigan State Pension Fund has been looking for. I'll buy 20 million. Oh, come on, live a little. 25 million. <laughs> See, this was a great idea. And and catch on to that stuff. The guy from the Michigan State Pension Fund asked about the rating. What is this? What is this? What is this investment rated? And it's rated AAA by the rating agencies. And the rating agencies are Standard and Poor's and Moody's. So this was a great idea. And it's a, and it bundles mortgages, which are going to return a return based on the uh, based on the interest rates at the time, and they and they also by putting lots and lots of mortgages together, they create a, a higher yield. Kind of how mutual funds work, where you you invest, you buy shares of mutual funds, and the mutual funds diversify diversify uh, into hundreds and hundreds of different different stocks and different industries, and depending on the kind of mutual fund you get. So this is. That's how mortgage-backed securities were. They were bundling mortgages, and by sell and doing that, they created they basically created a secondary mortgage market where a bank would go out and and lend you money to buy a mortgage, and they would bundle them together and sell them to Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the Federal National Mortgage Association, and uh, Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, which at the time were private companies that were taking investments from uh, from various various entities and small and small investors and big investors and they were buying these mortgages okay so and they were servicing them or they'd subservice them that's not important right now so in the 1990s the clinton administration uh under under bill clinton bill clinton wanted uh wanted everything for everybody he wanted to have he wanted to just do everything for everybody and at the time uh and he wanted to push up home ownership rate home ownership percentages how many people in america own home homes because that's how great america is based on how how many uh, people own homes and you know what we all know there's a there's a sector in our country of people and it doesn't have to do with their color or their religion or their state there's just some people that are irresponsible some of your kids are irresponsible some of your friends are irresponsible some of them you know some of them you know just if you give them a if you if you give them a new car and say hey I'll give you this new car if you make if you'll make this $400 payment every month they say, sure I'll do it but they don't manage their money well enough to make a payment on time every month and those of you out there that know people with credit scores in the 5s and the 400s and the 500s that's the people I'm talking about 
maybe some of you have gone through some periods of your life when when you couldn't uh, when you couldn't do it and then you grew up and now you've got clean credit or maybe you're still in that portion of your life so they created they created these these uh, subprime products to help those people buy houses you know if uh, if you if you know if your success is not as good as you hope lower your bar you know so you can feel better about yourself don't work harder lower the bar so at the time at the time along with uh, Bill Clinton uh, we had a guy named Barney Frank Barney Frank was the head of the finance, uh, House Financial Services Committee, and uh, he was having a, a romantic, sexual, homosexual relationship with a guy named Herb Moss, who was one of the, the top VPs at, the, at Fannie Mae, which, uh, I don't know, seems like a conflict of interest, but they created these, these subprime products, and they push banks to sell them. People that... Lenders and banks, they don't want to, to uh, do loans to people that won't pay them, pay them back. But what they did was they they basically created rules that if you didn't sell 38% of your portfolio to Fannie Mae or Freddie uh, in in these products, that you no longer could sell sell products to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, essentially taking you out of the mortgage business. So with that rule, nobody had any choice. And at that time, they went out and pushed their loan officers to push them. Let me play another. Let me play another clip from The Big Short. How many loans do you write each month? Yeah. About 60. Yeah. What was it four years ago? 10, maybe 15. Yeah, I was a bartender. Now I own a boat. <laughs> you own a boat. So how, how many of these are uh, adjustable rate mortgages? Well, most. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'd say about 90%. Yeah, the bonuses on those skyrocketed oh. a few years ago. Adjustables are bread and honey. So do applicants ever get rejected? Seriously? <laughs> Look, if they get rejected, I suck at my job. Well, even if they have no money? Well, my, my firm offers uh, ninja loans. No income, no, no job. You know, I just leave the income section blank if I want. Corporate doesn't care. These, these people just want homes, you know? And they, they go with the flow. Good for you. Your companies don't verify. If I write a loan on Friday afternoon, the big bank is going to buy it by Monday lunch. Yeah, same here. Could you hold on a second? Yeah. I don't get it. Why are they confessing? They're not confessing. They're bragging. They're not confessing. They're bragging. There's a couple of guys, you know, they 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 made they made lending so easy that anyone with a pulse could get a loan. Didn't matter if you had good credit scores. You know, there's three there's three uh three uh factors to getting a loan. There's income, credit, and equity. So your income is your income. Your credit your credit is how is your credit history is def, is not a uh, is not you know the past is, doesn't guarantee the future but it sure gives an indication of how you handle your credit. So you got income, credit, equity, and your equity is your down payment. So basically, they created no income qualifier loans, so you didn't have to. Uh, you could state your income, or you could just not even. They could not even ask. They they lowered the they lowered the credit scores down to to. 500s. I mean, I, I don't know that I don't know. I ever remember a uh, a uh, a subprime loan that would lend below 500 FICO. But if you've got a 550, you shouldn't own a home. If you're in the 500s, you probably shouldn't own a home. We've got a, a FHA. FHA will take down to 500. But you know what? Most lenders won't go below 580. In fact, most of them won't go below 620. But there's a handful of them that'll go into 580. But those are people that 
haven't figured out how to be responsible with their money or they haven't taken out enough credit to do it. So they're bragging, they're bragging that, you know, anyone with a pulse could get a loan basically. And in addition, anyone with a pulse could write a loan. You didn't have to know anything. And I hear this from people. Hey, you know what? We used back in the day, we used to send over this, uh, our prequels to this guy. And in 15 minutes, he could tell us, go write write it up for that house. And I said, well, 10 years ago, you could have you could have uh, ran the guy's credit and see his credit score. It doesn't matter what his documents look like. You can qualify him. There was there was a loan for him and we didn't have to have to do that. But they cre- they created with they with with these products, they took those mortgage-backed securities into something different into into a different kind of bond. Let me play another clip where uh, uh, Ryan Gosling explains this to some potential, uh, to some mortgage, to some uh, investment bankers. This is your basic mortgage bond. All right. The originals were simple. They were just thousands of AAA mortgages bundled together, guaranteed by the U.S. government. The modern ones are different. They're private, and they're made up of layers of tranches. The highest level AAA is getting paid first. The lowest rated B is getting paid last, taking on defaults first. Now, obviously, if you're buying bees, you can make more money, but they're a little risky. Sometimes they fail. Somewhere along the line, these bees and double bees went from a little risky to trash. I'm talking rock bottom FICO scores. No income verification. Adjustable rates. The default rates are already up from 1% to 4%, fellas. And if they rise to 8%, and they will, a lot of these triple bees are going to zero, too. And that you're too close, is an opportunity. Okay, you're saying that at 8%, the bonds fail, and we are already at 4%? That's right. If they go to 8 it's Armageddon. Yeah, that's right. So how could they sell this garbage out there? How could they sell this garbage? And for those of you that haven't seen it, he's pulling pieces when he's talking about uh, uh, rock-bottom FICO scores. He's got a big Jenga set up. If, if you've played the game Jenga with all the little blocks, and you stack them up, and then you start pulling blocks out he's pulling blocks out and at some point he goes hey we when these all go bad and the whole thing tips over uh you should watch the movie i'm just trying to wet your lips here uh, get your appetite uh spurred but how could they sell these things how could they sell these things to banks hedge funds pension funds uh pension plans and because they would rely on they just like the the michigan state pension fund they said, "What are these things rated?" So they rated the, these things were rated by Standard and Poor's. Let me play. Let me play another clip where they actually go into to find out how did these things get rated AAA when they were clearly ninety five percent subprime. How can Standard and Poor's help you? Well, we don't understand why the ratings agencies haven't downgraded subprime bonds since mm. the underlying loans are clearly deteriorating. Well, the delinquency rates do have people worried, but they're actually within our models. We, Georgia, we stand behind. Have that. you ever refused to rate any of these bonds upper tranches AAA? Can we see the paperwork on those? Oh, deals? I'm under no obligation to share that information with you. Just whoever to answer you the be. question, Georgia. Can you name one time in the past year where you checked the tape and you didn't give the banks the AAA percentage they wanted? If we don't give them the ratings, they'll go to Moody's right down the block. If we don't work with them, they will go to our competitors. Not our fault. Simply the way the world works. Yep, simply the way the world works. So they're, the, the rating agencies are rating products from the same people who pay them to rate products. Hmm, does that sound like conflict of interest? 
So some big mortgage company, countrywide, let's say, uh, funds a bunch of, 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 of trash loans, loans that are, are basically time bomb loans. They're, they're, you know, they've got low 2% interest rates for the first two years. And, you know, the, uh, they've got, you know, 80, twenties, no down payments, uh, people that, you know, their, their credit reports were on life support when they came in and, and we gave them loans. I will say I'm still in business because I didn't do as many of them because I was building my building my my uh, my castle that's uh, on the south side of the 60 freeway at the time, and I think that was God looking out for me because building the building wasn't pleasant, and it wasn't cheap, but it kept me from doing more uh, more subprime. So while many of my competitors went out of business, I didn't. Um, but these these rating agencies just rate them all AAA so they could sell them and they're selling them off to to big banks they're selling them off to pension funds they're selling them off to hedge funds you're buying you're buying uh, uh, mutual funds and those mutual funds have invested in them and they bought and they sold them overseas to big investment uh, funds in China and Europe and all the all over the place and and when they started coming apart when they started coming apart the world the world ended now there's a guy named Dyke, Dr. Michael Burry, who's uh, played by uh, Christian Bale in the movie. In the in the uh, in the movie, and he starts noticing this stuff, and he starts he's he's a number cruncher, and he says, you know what, these things are going to fail, and he wants to do something called a short, uh, where he's going to short the 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 housing industry, and basically he wants to take an investment where he basically buys insurance. On the, you know how you buy life insurance? You buy life insurance, you're basically betting with the insurance company. You say, I bet I'm going to die. And they say, we bet you're not. And they, you, you trade your $500 a year against their $500,000 in the event that they lose the bet. And then you work the rest of your life to lose that bet. Okay, because you want to stay alive. So it's a just in case. They're going to go in and this guy wants to go in and say, hey, I bet you these, these uh, bond things are going to fail. And this is what the, the Wall Street uh, uh, firm, this is the conversation they have. Swaps on mortgage bonds, a credit default swap that will pay off if the underlying bond fails. You want to bet against the housing market? Yes. Why? Those bonds only fail if millions of Americans don't pay their mortgages. That's never happened in history. If you'll excuse me, Dr. Berry, it seems like a foolish investment. Well, Based on prevailing sentiment of the market, banks, and popular culture, yes, it's a foolish investment, but uh, everyone's wrong. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is Wall Street, Dr. Burry. If you offer us free money, we are going to take it. My one concern is, is that uh, when the bonds fail, uh, I, I want to be certain um, of payment um, in case of solvency issues with your bank. I'm sorry, are you for real? You want to bet against the housing market and you're worried we won't pay you. Yes, that's correct. So, people on Wall Street, people on Wall Street, people in the, a lot of people in the banking industry, in the banking industry, in the, in the investment industry, they were clueless to what was going on. They're clueless to the, to the something that I call cause and effect. You know, hey, you're, we're getting people into houses, but those people shouldn't be in houses. It's not responsible to put people that are irresponsible. It's, it's irresponsible for us to let everybody vote. Whether you have a clue what you're voting about, 
or or can can it even uh, take a test and pass? You know, how do you spell USA? If you can't if you can't do that, you shouldn't be voting if you don't know. But you know what? They let people own houses that shouldn't have. And the rating agencies rated them AAA, and somebody figured it out. Hey, this house is going to fall, and said, "Hey, we're going to go back and and say I'm on, I want to bet against it." And the people on Wall Street go, "You want to give us money to buy a, an insurance policy against something that has never happened in in history?" Sure, we'll take it. So so just I'm going to use round numbers to say, "Hey, this guy's paying a million dollars, a million dollars." Let's say let's say say it he's paying a hundred million dollars a year to ensure that if and they were they were getting paid like twenty to one on you know they were they were insuring these fifty million hundred million dollars worth of uh of uh of blocks of mortgages and if those things failed and he would they would take uh the the credit default swap out on specific uh bonds that have the all these different loans in them if those if that bond failed because the mortgages in them failed that wall street has to give them back all this money and the insurance companies and the investment companies and uh, uh morgan stanley and standard or not standard and Poor's, but uh uh bear stearns and all these companies have to have to do that and uh aig american uh what is it american insurance group american whatever it is the big insurance company they're bought they're taking on hey they're sure give us 100 million dollars a year we'll take it no problem this ain't gonna happen guess what it happened everything folded up and not only did not only did the investment uh companies that own those loans they went and then everybody else who was taken out who was taking people's money and they were and they were insuring these things and reinsuring these things because hey send us free money and the world crumbled how come we didn't see it? The Bush administration tried to stop this about 17 times uh, in since uh, starting at about three, four or five months after Bush took office. Okay, the uh, the Senate Banking Committee um, actually uh, uh, Chairman Richard Shelby, who I think is Senator from Alabama, and uh, and John McCain, Senator from Arizona, former uh, former presidential candidate. Um, introduced a bill in 2005, and it was sent to uh, Congress and uh, Senate, and the Senate uh, uh, voted it on party lines, and it was voted down, voted down, and that would have reined in Fannie and Freddie. Even even Greenspan, Greenspan, uh, the head the the head of the Federal Reserve, he even warned about it. Let me play this clip. In 2005, Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan added his voice on Fannie and Freddie after Fannie leaders admitted major accounting screw-ups. Quote, enabling these institutions to increase in size, and they will once the crisis in their judgment passes, we are placing the total financial system of the future at a substantial risk. Later at another hearing on the topic... If we fail to spend GSC regulation, we increase the possibility of insolvency and crisis. But the two mortgage giants had staunch defenders. Democratic Senator Charles Schumer said, quote, I think Fannie and Freddie over the years have done an incredibly good job and are an intrinsic part of making America the best housed people in the world. If you look over the last 20 or whatever years, they've done a very, very good job. All, they were 
the Democrats were defending Fannie and Freddie as there's this is this is crisis shouldn't be shouldn't be uh, worried about. In fact, uh, you know the you got Charles Schumer who was defending it, and Barney Frank, that uh, gentleman I discussed a little earlier, uh, who was actually one of the co-authors of the of the Dodd Frank law, which is destroying the lending industry today. Um, here's him testifying in front of a congressional committee. The main sponsor is our colleague from California, Mr. Miller who comes to Congress with a distinguished record himself in building homes. And this is a very important resolution, particularly at this time, because we have, I think, an excessive degree of concern right now about home ownership and its role in the economy. Obviously, speculation is never a good thing. But those who argue that housing prices are now at the point of a bubble seem to me to be missing a very important point. Unlike previous examples we have had where substantial excessive inflation of prices later caused some problems, we are talking here about an entity, home ownership, homes, where there is not the degree of leverage that we have seen elsewhere. This is not the dot-com situation. We have problems with people having invested in business plans for which there was no reality, and people building fiber optic cable for which there was no need. Homes that are occupied may see an ebb and flow in the price at a certain percentage level, but you're not going to see the collapse that you see when people talk about a bubble. And so those of us on our committee in particular will continue to push for home ownership. Yep, that's what happens when you let uh, politicians that don't know squat about business make opinions on business matters. And in 2007, that same bill that they voted down in 2005, 2007, it was uh, reintroduced after it was too late and it was unanimous, unanimously passed. And by that time, it was too late. Fannie and Freddie were in a were in a free fall, and so went the economy. This weekend, when you hear Hillary Clinton talk about what caused the the financial crisis, remember this is the truth, and she's feeding, feeding us a line of BS. But I'm out of time for this uh, episode of the main event. So thanks for listening to the main event. Make sure and watch the debate Sunday night, and uh, I will be back again with you next week. Yeah.